Chapter 5, let's begin in verse 1. The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that we will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for being such a great God to us. We thank you, Jesus, that you are such a great shepherd. Use these verses for your purposes in our lives. We yield our hearts to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. 1 Peter chapter 5 is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible, these four verses especially. I know I say that a lot. Um, You get probably tired of hearing it, but it really, these really are. Um, Most of you know I used to be a director of a school of ministry at Calvary Chapel Modesto, and that was a pastoral discipleship school. We went over these verses a lot. In fact, at graduation, when they've endured the two years of having to deal with me five days a week, um, going through all that they had gone through. Now, there's greater trials than that, believe it or not. Uh, Going through all the trials that they went through and the pruning and breaking and all these things, uh, these verses were put before them in different ways at that graduation for them to remind them, those of them that, that um, were called to be in this role here that he, about which he speaks, that they would recognize that um, there's very specific intents and purposes that God has for God's people through their calling. And so um, it was my privilege to be able to help disciple them in that calling and uh, some of, those, some of those that are in our fellowship uh, have graduated from that school. And Pastor Mike Veneman, who spoke last Sunday, graduated from that school. And God is so faithful to help those that he's called to lead his body to be um, a certain way because he knows that we have certain need as his sheep. And, of course, this, this passage means a lot to me personally, having that same uh, type of calling and speaks a lot to me personally. But... What I wanted to focus on, uh, you know, is many different purposes that God can have for, for a set of verses on any given time we look at it. Uh, but you're maybe thinking, well, what does that help me? I don't necessarily have that calling. Well, it helps you because I know I'm very aware that, that there are many people in our fellowship that have been hurt in spiritual environments, uh, even to the point of we might be able to characterize it as being spiritually abused. And that breaks my heart. And I've been through that too. Uh, before I came to Calvary Chapel, I, I, many of you know that I had gone through that to the point where you just don't even want to be a part of the church anymore. And, and the enemy is always trying to uh, ruin our um, view of the beauty of the body of Christ. And his primary tactic is to get us to be isolated away from the body of Christ. I see it all the time. And I see it, you know, in my own life where he wants to get me isolated away. 
And, and so we have to recognize, and I want those of you that have gone through that, but also those of you who may have not have gone through that, to understand what God's standard is for leadership, because he has very specific ideas and plans for that. And I, I realize that not everybody will be, you know, remain in our family, but God moves people around as he chooses. It's his church. And so it's healthy for us to understand what God's standard is related to leadership so that we can know. And then also for those of you that have been hurt, I know that this will be further healing for you. Um, so that would be the application. And, and there also there, there may be some of us here that uh, sense a calling on our lives for that. And so um, it will be helpful as well. And I want to look at five characteristics of healthy leaders, um, Jesus' leaders, that he appoints, that he calls and it, it's very important for us to see how his definition, what his definition looks like, because it, he hasn't given us the quote-unquote luxury to define that ourselves. There's a lot of different models out there, a lot of different, um, you know, ways that people can think about what a leader is supposed to be in the body of Christ. And when I was first called, when I sensed a calling on my life in 1991, when God let me in on the fact that he called me to be a pastor, I was offended because I didn't see, I, my view of what a, what a pastor was and what a leader was was completely skewed. And I didn't, first of all, see myself as a people person. I didn't necessarily think I had this overwhelming um, love for people. And, and he developed in me um, a lot of things that I needed over 12 years. And sometimes we don't realize what goes into somebody that, is been entrusted with the care of God's people. What goes into that? Because we think of seminary, I mean cemetery, I mean, which one is it? Um, you know, education is so high on, we think, oh, that's what, that's what guys do that are called, you know, they go to seminary and so forth, and, and there's nothing wrong with sem- seminary, it has its place, and God can use that, and he has used it, obviously. But uh, there's a reason why th- there's character in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, for the qualifications for leader, for overseers. The people aren't supremely concerned about what we know about theology. He, 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 most of us have been hurt by a lack of character, not bad theology. <laughs> and so he puts this high premium on our character and on our walk and so forth. And that's why, and this is what he does to prepare leaders, he brings them through situations for a long period of time, and, and it doesn't really end. <laughs> that's the thing that... Is, can be disheartening at first when you first realize that, but he's always working all of our lives to make us more usable. But for leaders, there's this very intense pruning and breaking that has to happen to get us to be not impressed with ourselves, to not be impressed with what we know, to not um, have self-dependence, and all these things that we see in the disciples in the very beginning, where they're they're fighting, you know, who's the greatest, and, and so forth. And and he he has a very faithful way of getting us to be usable, and so. May the Lord use this in our lives as we look at it this morning for his purposes. Now, I want us to look at the, this first one here where he says, The elders who are among you I exhort. I, am, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. It begins with elders. He's talking about leaders in the church. And he says, I exhort. And the big question I have is Why? Why does he have to exhort these leaders in the first place? Well, again, context is everything. And in, in Scripture interprets Scripture. They're going through incredible hardship. We've looked at that as we've gone through the book. So they're going through persecution. They're going through difficulty. And because of that, 
You have to think about what they're called to, the leaders are called to, they're called to care for the flock and so forth. But when, when you're in a, in a society where you're being persecuted big time, the first, <laughs> the first thing that people do when they go to persecute a church is find the leader. You know, it's, it, it happens a lot today where if you're caught hosting a, a, an underground church, many times they're put into prison for 10 years, but the leader is automatically in prison for 25 years. That's what we, there's been a general pattern. They punish the leaders even more. And so when you're thinking about being faithful to God's people and serving them and helping them, well, we didn't, you know, they didn't have uh, the Internet and diff phone calls and all these things where you could serve people covertly. You had to actually come out in the open and go over their house and then have where you're vulnerable, where someone could look and say, what are you doing over there? What are you talking to these people for? Why are you visiting them? Why are they coming to your house? So it wasn't like you could behind the scenes serve them and help them and tend and feed and so forth. You had to be out in the open. You had to be vulnerable. And so the tendency for these elders here to whom he's speaking is that, well, we're going to just tone that down a little bit. We're not going to care for them as much because every time I care for them, I have to come out from my cover, so to speak, uh, and come out in the open and be vulnerable and be identified as a leader and thus maybe lose my family or lose uh, my life or whatever it was. So that's really what Peter's speaking into here. So he has to exhort them because he want, because Jesus, Jesus expects his under-shepherds and his leaders to continue to be faithful even when things are hard and difficult. So that's... That's the context. Now, notice Peter refers to himself as a fellow elder. Did you see that in the middle of verse 1? Fellow elder. And that's the first characteristic I want to focus on, uh, is that Peter was one among many, and he recognized that. Now, he had authority. In chapter 1, verse 1, he talks about being an apostle. He had that. But he's also, at the same time, one among many. And he doesn't throw his authority around as a license to, 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 to lord it over as he's going to get into and so forth. He wants to, he wants to, rec- to let them know that he's one among many. Now, the Roman Catholic Church teaches that he was the first pope. Now, he says one among many. I don't, maybe there are many popes uh, there. I don't think so. He's saying, I'm one among many elders. I'm a fellow elder. Now, we'll see when we get into 1 John that John comes about it a little bit different. He says the elder when he begins his letters. And so it's okay for those, these leaders to, to remind them of, of where they're at, what their place is in the body of Christ. But he's, he's getting at something different with them. He wants them to know he can relate to them because he knows what it's like to face persecution. And at the same time, want to be faithful or have to be faithful or get to be faithful to God's people all at the same time. He's saying, I know what you're going through. I know it's difficult. I'm a fellow elder with you. I know what it's like to be persecuted. I know what it's like to face difficulty and and be faithful with your calling all at the same time. And I'm sure that was a tremendous encouragement to God's people and to those leaders. And Peter says he's a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Now, the word witness there. It's our word martyr. We use that term martyr to describe someone that dies for their faith, that gives their life uh, for Christ in not renouncing Christ in the, in the, in the face of incredible persecution. But, but the New Testament definition of martyr is someone that is simply testifying of something. 
So for us to know that Christians don't become martyrs when they die, they die because they're martyrs, is important. And, and, and Peter uses a different word than he'll use in the next book when he says we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Because Peter wasn't there the whole entire time that Jesus suffered, right? We're not told he was there during the scourging. We're not told he was there at the crucifixion. He could have been at those things, but we're not explicitly told that he was. And that's encouraging to us because we can be a witness too. Because we don't have to be an eyewitness and we're not eyewitnesses. But at the same time, we can carry the message of the gospel because of God's calling on our lives and because uh, he, you know, people need to hear the gospel because of the great commission. But he also says a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Peter knew something about this glory. You may remember him being uh, with James and John there with the Lord Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And Jesus was transformed before their eyes. And he revealed his glory in a way that he hadn't before. And so he saw the glory of Christ. And of course, he said something very foolish at that point. Luke tells us that he didn't know what to say. So he just said, oh, let, let's build tabernacles for you and Moses and Elijah. And, and the God the Father interrupts. You know, this is my beloved son. Hear him. Don't put him on the equal plane of these other men as great as they are. He's my son. He's unique. And so here uh, Peter was seeing the glory of Christ there, but he's talking about that glory being revealed to us when we come in, in, when we're delivered into heaven with our new bodies, either at the rapture or, or uh, at the end. And so he says that that is something that I am, along with the other elders that are serving, I'm going to, I'm a witness just like you are. I'm a partaker of, of what will be revealed just like you are. So he says, I'm, I'm not at a higher level. I'm coming to you as just a fellow elder. I, have, I can relate to what you're going through. And so uh, listen to what I have to say as a fellow elder, not supremely as an apostle. Now, Peter gets to his exhortation in verses 2 and 3. And he begins in verse 2. He says, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. The second characteristic of healthy leaders is they give God's people what they need. And and we see it by the word shepherd there. It's a verb form of the noun shepherd. And and it's not listed very often in in scripture, but he's talking about giving people what, what what God would have them receive because of what their needs are. God knows what God's people need. They need to be fed the word of God. They need to be given the whole counsel of God. Not just Genesis to Revelation, as much as we love that and and believe that and and encourage that, but also specific counsel. Feeding them God's perspective on their situation, on their lives. And sometimes leaders pay a big price for that because people have different hearts. (laughs) As you know, we all have different hearts Some people are willing to receive that. Some people aren't. And when they're not, just like all of us, when we when we share something that people need to hear and love when they don't necessarily want to hear it, there's a price that's paid for doing so. And leaders aren't exempt from that. But that's part of being a faithful believer is telling others what they need to hear in an appropriate way. And so um, 
he encourages them to do that. But also, not just feeding them, telling them the whole counsel of God, whether it's teaching or specific exhortation, but also tending them, taking care of their needs. You know, there's there's so much that we talk about, and especially in our circles, uh, about feeding. You know, feeding, feeding, feeding. And we're known, in, and let me just, this is, this is a family discussion here, right? Like Joan Rivers would say, can we talk? You know, uh, you know we, we talk a lot about feeding in Calvary Chapel. We don't talk a lot about tending. Even at conferences, we don't talk a lot about tending, and we should. I'm not saying it never happens. I'm not saying that, you know, but what, if you were to weigh out the, the content of what people share, it's so much about feeding, and, and I believe we, we should be known in the body of Christ and, and of course, of, in Calvary Chapel as much for tending as we are for feeding. And there are pastors that in every church uh, around, I mean, every denomination and non-denomination where it's hard to get a hold of them. It's hard to ever have access to them. And sometimes that's done in the name of study because they want to feed the sheep, and rightly so. But that's not a pastor or a leader's only calling. There's also tending. And I'm sure that Peter was thinking about the Lord Jesus' uh, exhortation to him in John chapter 21. And remember that when Peter said, I'm going fishing. And the other disciples said, we're going with you. Now, some people criticize that, like they were being disobedient, but we're never told that in the passage they're being disobedient. They might have been, but we're not told that, so we have to be careful. But they weren't fishing, and Jesus comes along. This is after he rose from the dead, and he says, you know, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. You know, I think I've heard this somewhere before. Uh, so they did that, and they pulled in 153 fish, and the nets weren't broken, and Jesus called them from the shore. He had... He's having breakfast for them already. They come in. They recognize. And we've talked about this before. Jesus was was restoring Peter publicly because he had denied the Lord publicly. He was restoring him publicly. But what, this is what he said: Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, "Yes, Lord. You know that I love you." And he said to him, "Feed my lambs." He said to him again a second time. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Jesus would measure Peter's love for him in part by how he fed and cared for his sheep. And every leader needs to remember that. And it exhorts me and exhorts all of us to be faithful to what God's called us to do and to, to receive what he's called us to receive as his people. And he really cares about how we're treated as sheep. It really matters to him. And I think that I want to encourage you to just think about for a moment his care for you as a shepherd. It's not, just, it's not just the theoretical. This is a real shepherd caring for real sheep. And, and as a pastor, I have a very small portion of his big heart for his people. And, and one of the things I've seen is people struggle with is understanding, and of course in my own life too, I've, I've struggled too, understanding his love for us and how much he cares for us. 
And so his, his leaders have to be very careful about what they say and what they do. And because of that, they're going to get assessed, just like all of us will, related to their specific calling. God really doesn't like people that are mistreating his people. He really hates that. And I want to read to you a portion from Ezekiel, 10 verses, and the whole chapter basically is dealing with this. But at the time, Israel had false shepherds that were speaking lies and misleading the people and were devouring the people. And I want us, you may have never heard these verses before. I want to read them to you from Ezekiel 34. Listen to this. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened. So he cares about the weak. Nor have you healed those who are sick. He cares about the sick. Or bound up the broken. He cares about the broken. Nor brought back that was driven away. He cares about those people. Nor sought what was lost. But with force, this is interesting, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey and my flock became food for every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, nor did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my flock at their hand. I will cause them to cease feeding the sheep, and the shepherds shall feed themselves no more. For I will deliver my flock from their mouths, that they may no longer be food for them. So it's clear to me, and he just goes on and on and on about his heart against the, the false shepherds there. But it's clear to me that shepherds are either going to feed the sheep or feed on the sheep. They either are going to serve the people or serve themselves by fleecing the sheep. And we see it all over the place. Triple tithe Sunday. You know, I've been in services where they've had multiple offerings received and then they do a coin offering. They're shaking us down all the way down to the, I mean, there's nothing left. What, what's, what's left on me? You know, it's like you've drained everything. And they feed themselves and they get rich off off the people of God and they fleece them and take advantage of them. That grieves God's heart. He cares about his sheep. He cares about his people. Now the third characteristic of healthy leaders is that they they understand that they don't have their own sheep. Notice in verse 2 there he says, the flock of God. And that's precisely what the Lord Jesus told Peter, wasn't it? In John 21, he said, feed whose sheep? Your sheep, Peter's? No, feed my sheep, 
Peter. Feed my sheep. And, and so we're going to see in the next verse, he's going to say that these sheep have been entrusted to you. It's a stewardship. He's saying that these have been given over to you for your care, but they're not your sheep. I remember so many times Pastor Chuck sharing with us, fellas, they're not your sheep, you know. They're, this is not your church. It's the Lord's church, you know. And he would just over and over again, and like, you know, we've heard this before, Pastor Chuck. I didn't say that. You're thinking that. But, you know, you know I'm not going to say that. And he just pounded it in us, because, and he grieved him. I don't know if you ever listened to some of his messages where he's talking about these chain letters and these letters appealing for money. I mean, he would just go on and on and on and on about how painful it was uh, for him because of how people abused uh, the sheep, and it bothered him. And so he would tell us to not refer to it as your church, to not refer to them as our sheep. He said they're the Lord's sheep. It's his church. And we need to be very careful about what we, uh, how we communicate that and, and how we treat them. Now, the fourth characteristic of healthy leaders is that they serve with the right motivation. Notice he says, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Now, if you look in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and if you look at Titus chapter 1, one of the qualifications for overseers is that they're not supposed to be greedy for money. You know, Billy Graham has said that pastors fall uh, three different ways, either by pride or by women or by money. Those are the three. And they put incredible safeguards in that ministry to protect against that. Money can, the love of money, Paul wrote to Timothy and said, those who desire to be rich fall into a trap and a snare, and they pierce themselves through with many griefs. So it's true, obviously, for uh, his leaders as well. You know, all of us have to listen to that, but leaders have to lead by example. But he says, serving as overseers. The leaders have to be servants, You know, Jesus said, I haven't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. So he didn't come to be served. If anybody should have been served, it should have been the Lord Jesus. And he, in John chapter 13, he took out, took off his outer garment. He washed their feet, which was the lowest job in the house. Their lowest servant would wash the feet of visitors that came in. Their feet were dusty and so forth. And so the lowest servant, and so he's doing that. And Peter, of all people, what does he say? No, Lord, not so with me. You can wash all these. I'm a different set of rules for me, <laughs> Jesus. You can, you can wash all their feet, but not me. You will not uh, you know, wash my feet. And, and Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with, of me. Because he knew that Peter would need to be washing other people's feet. He needed to experience that so that he could serve and be a servant and so forth. And so here, Peter is 30-something years removed from all of that. He had so much self-dependence, so much pride before. He was one of those disciples that were fighting. Who's the greatest? And he was fighting oh, all these other people, all these other disciples right in front of me, Lord. I'm saying it right in their presence, too. I'm sure they appreciate that. Though they all may deny you, I will never deny you. And the, and the Lord Jesus said, before the rooster crows, tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me three times. And I'm sure that that echoed through Peter's heart for the rest of his life to think about what it would be like to witness all of Christ's sufferings. 
and not, and not have left and so forth. I, I'm sure that he wished he would have been able to do that or did that all the way through to the end. But every, any leader that wants to be served, and Pastor Chuck always talks about these ministries that say, if, if without you, this ministry can't continue. And he said, that's not a ministry then. Because God doesn't need people. He, God needs us or has us trusting him. And, and we're supposed to be serving him and, and blessing his heart. And, and we can't ever communicate to God's people, leaders, that with, we need them. I mean, it's true that God has people participate in what he's doing, but our faith is not in people. Our faith is in the Lord, and, and, and that's our source. And so he says we have to be servants. We're not CEOs where everybody, you know, jumps when we say, when we snap our fingers or we have people doing things for us. We have to be very careful. I mean, uh, you know, there are, during Pastor Appreciation Month in October, there's churches that do special offerings for the pastor, and I... You know, I understand that you want to bless, and that's great, and so forth. But, man, those things are abused greatly, so we have to be very careful. But then he says, not by compulsion. What does that mean? Not to be forced. There should never be any pressure from without to care for God's people. It should always come from the heart and, and, and a desire to bless God by serving him and obeying the calling that's on their lives. It's true for all of us. None of us should serve out of compulsion. Sometimes people come here from churches that they've, they've been uh, not treated well, and they're waiting for somebody to hit them up, to pressure them, to, and they, it just doesn't happen. And that's not our aim anyway. Or when they want to step down from a ministry, they're afraid to do it because they're afraid of the manipulation that's coming and the pressure tactics that are going to come to try to keep them serving where they're serving. Well, do I want people serving because any, a human wants them to be doing it? Or do I want them serving because they have a heart to do it and that God's called them to do it and they love the Lord and they love his people? Well, obviously, the latter. So we should be doing it willingly. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, he says, if anyone desires to be an overseer, he desires a good thing. It's a desirous thing. It's a thing that we should want, but not for dishonest gain. Again, we can't serve any of us, including leaders, can't serve supremely to have a need met in our life. We have to serve because we love God. We have to serve because we love his people. Yes, we get blessed. Yes, God develops us. We grow spiritually as a result of it. But that's way down the line in terms of priority and and the motivation for it. Now, the fifth and final characteristic of healthy leaders is that they lead by example, not coercion. Notice in verse 3, he says, Nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. A popular saying uh, that I've heard in, in, in conferences and so forth in Calvary Chapel is cattle are driven, sheep are led. And I remember when I first heard that, it just really hit me that that has to be true because um, the Lord Jesus doesn't drive people. You know, I'm not trying to nitpick, and I'm sure I know God used the book, but Purpose Driven Life. Uh, it just that that title bugged me a little bit because I don't want to be driven. I want to be led, <laughs> and I know that I'm sure Rick Warren meant that. And I'm not, you know, I'm just saying, d- d- being driven is something that it seems like the world is engaged in, and God calls us to be led by Him. And so leaders aren't called to drive sheep. You go out in front of them. And that's what shepherds would do. 
They would go out in front of the sheep and they would call out to them and they would be in front of them and lead them a certain direction. When in my studying, I heard someone talk about the movie Babe. And of course, I have to bring some ridiculous illustration in uh, because that's what I do. Uh, but you know, remember in the, the movie Babe, you had these sheepdogs trying to get the, 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 you know, trying to get them to do certain things and they just wouldn't do it. They just couldn't. It was a disaster. They were, it's like, it, to me, it reminded me of them trying to drive them and they need to be led by the shepherd. So the, the, the shepherd's voice, they recognize and, and then they trust that voice, and then they obey that voice. Now hold our place here. You probably know where I'm going. I want us to turn to John chapter 10 and hear what the Lord Jesus has to say about how he leads his sheep. Hold your place in First Peter and turn over to John chapter 10. Jesus speaking, John chapter 10, verse 1. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Now skip down to verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. Now, you can go back to 1 Peter 5. God's called leaders to get out in front of the sheep. Now, he, they're not the, the, the chief shepherd. He's going to talk about that. But they point to the chief shepherd. And they're an example and as they're an example, people see how they should live, and they, they are looking towards the true shepherd as he, he leads them out, because he, he speaks to them. He said another, in that same passage, my sheep hear my voice. And one of the things that abusive leaders can do is assume that his sheep can't hear his voice. And they become that voice, unfortunately. And so for us as leaders, our calling is to point people to Jesus, trust that they can hear the Spirit's voice, and support them in following the chief shepherd, not become a chief shepherd. You know, the word the in Greek can be plural. We can't do that in English, but they, but, but he, but they could. And he's talking about a very singular <laughs> situation here with the chief shepherd, the good shepherd. In Hebrews it says he's the great shepherd. So good, great, and chief are, are identifying him as the shepherd. So we're supposed to lead by 
example. They've been entrusted to us. God's called us to be examples. That doesn't mean they're going to be perfect, obviously. So the sheep have to be gracious with the under-shepherds, just like they expect the under-shepherds to be gracious with them. But there still is a general pattern of an example that they're to look to as they're pointing people to the true shepherd as they hear his voice. You know, Paul said it this way. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. He was out in front. He wasn't driving the sheep behind them, whipping them, lording over them, making, micromanaging their faith, uh, making every little decision for them, you know, not trying to be a mediator between them and God, because God only has one mediator between him and us, and that's the Lord Jesus. So he, he, he knew that, and he trusted. And there's different language that we see in the New Testament. In, in Romans chapter 12, he said, I beseech you, brethren, or I beg you, please. He's imploring them to do it. Now, there are times where there is authority that needs to be uh, utilized. You know, there's other places. We've seen it in the book of Hebrews, where he calls the body of Christ to uh, be in submission to the leaders and so forth. But it's not a heavy-handed oversight. When you're an example, you don't have to use your authority. People are led because they see an example. People are led and they don't even realize they're being led because of people's examples. So if you are a leader and you have to force people and demand to be followed, you're not a good leader in the body of Christ. You don't ever have to demand to be followed if you're a good example. The Spirit will speak to his people and say, follow that person's example. We don't have to force it. We don't have to be heavy-handed. We don't have to be controlling. That's the last thing God's people need. Uh, the Lord Jesus told the disciples, don't, don't lord it over people like the Gentiles do, but the greatest among you shall be your servant. So you have to be an example and be out in front and lead by example. And the times when leaders forget that, and they try to make things happen in their own strength by manipulation or whatever it is. They do damage to God's people, and usually it's because they're serving themselves in some capacity. It may not be money. It may be adoration. They may have an ego that they're, they're struggling with the growth of the church because they think it's their church to build, and so they're insecure about it, and so they know that certain things affect that, so they're going to take matters into their own hands, and I'm not above that. But they're going to take matters into their own hands and try to make things happen. And whenever we do that, we cause harm to God's people and it ceases to be the healing, gracious, loving place that God's called it to be. Now the future reward to faithful leaders in verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. There's one chief shepherd. Ultimately, there's one senior pastor, that's the Lord Jesus, and he's going to appear and he's telling all of us and also leaders that we're going to have to give an account for our ministry and our calling at some point. And we can't define it ourselves, we can't do it in the way that we seem that is good to us in our own limited understanding, but there's going to be a day where we have to give an account. And he says, you want to be found faithful, just like all of us, want to be found faithful at that time. Because we're going to receive a crown notice of glory that does not fade away. There's different words for crown in the New Testament. And this one is talking about the wreath that the uh, Olympians or the, in the, the games would get. They wouldn't get a gold medal that lasted for a long time, like today. 
that could be sold on eBay. And, you know, they got, you know, they got these wreaths and they went, they were temporary and they went around their head and they were, they were not supposed to be something that lasted forever. They faded away. But what uh, Peter uses here, when the word fade away is actually the name of a flower that they had that could be revived for a long time by putting it in, in water it would last a lot longer than many other flowers. So it's like a play on words here. And he's saying to these elders, he's saying, look, you're very aware of the, the temporal crowns in this world. You're very aware that the, these Olympians that are engaged in things far less uh, important than what you're engaged in, and they get uh, a recognition before man, but you're going to get a recognition before the chief shepherd. And that recognition is not going to fade It's going to be there. It's going to last. It's going to endure. And so all that you're going through, all the persecution, all the hardship, you know, sometimes we forget that whatever God's called us to, there's a price that we have to pay to be faithful to it. It's not just for uh, leaders. It's for everybody. But leaders pay a price. It's a good reminder to to pray for them more. There is a price to be paid uh, by being faithful in that calling. And especially those of us that want to do things very well, God, does, he, he puts a, so, much, so much in our lives, and we feel like we're juggling so much all at the same time. We don't feel, that's the key word, feel, we don't feel like we're doing a very good job in any one area because we're having to juggle so much. But usually the things that we're engaged in that we're having to juggle, his standard is not perfection, and he wants to teach us to be more dependent upon him and that he will multiply the little effort that we put in and use it for his purposes far beyond what we understand. So he just says, be faithful to what God's called you to do, even in difficulty, even in persecution. Don't let that slide. And again, we've looked at it all through the book. We're tempted when we go through difficulty and trials to let go of our personal holiness and to forget about eternity. And to get our focus just on the now. And he's saying, be faithful in everything that God's called you to be, including leaders. Be faithful even if you have to come out from you know, being covert in a sense. And you have to be out in the open and really care for someone and, and, and open yourself up for vulnerability related to persecution. You still need to do it. Because even if they take your life, there will be a crown that won't fade away. And so it's a good reminder for us just to be able to know this is what God's standard is. And we need to... Um, recognize his standard and recognize that uh, he, he can produce all these things in a life if that life is yielded to him. And to pray for our leader. I pray for leaders all around the body of Christ because I know what they go through in part. And so may these verses be used to that end in our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the leaders that you have placed in your body, Lord, all around this world. We pray for Pastor Saeed, Lord, in Iran right now. We pray, Lord, that you would give him strength. Lord, we know he's led dozens of people to you. We just pray you would give him strength. We pray that you would deliver him from that prison, Lord. Thank you for his faithfulness, Lord. We pray for Calvary Chapel Boise that has sent him out. We just pray that you would help that body, Lord, to, to, to be able to serve that family his family and to help them during this time we pray for every leader in the body of christ lord we pray that you'd strengthen them we pray that you'd help them to be faithful we help them to pray that you'd help them to keep the eternal focus that they should have we pray lord that you help them with their character we pray that they would uh, stay close to you 
And we pray for the leaders in our fellowship, Lord. We're thankful for your provision. And we pray, Lord, that you would strengthen them, help them to serve with your strength. We pray, Lord, that all the leaders would serve in humility, Lord. We pray there'd be no hint of self-dependence. We pray, Lord, that they would be giving you glory for what you're doing in their lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.